0: Welcome to the Kara's Cures digital show and podcast, where we explore the cutting edge of wellness. I'm Kara Sundlin. Today's episode is sponsored by the Center for Advanced Reproductive Services. So do you think self-care is selfish? Well, what if there was a way to help your friends, your family, even change the world with self-care? I'm joined by Shelly Tagalski. She is the author of Sit Down to Rise Up, who actually believes self-care is very unselfish. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kara. Yeah, you know, I, I'm happy to be speaking with you. You've been named one of the 12 most powerful women in the mindfulness movement. So I know what you have to say has some cred. So let me ask you, what is your definition of self-care? And do we get it wrong?
1: We definitely get it wrong. My, my definition of self-care is specifically that um, it is a, an act of self-preservation and an act of being able to show up as wholly and as fully as we can for ourselves, for our community at large, and for the world at large. The way that we get it wrong is that we really think that because the word self is there, that it is an individualistic pursuit and in fact, what I try to outline in the book, and I think I hope I do it very clearly, is that um, that self-care is actually not an individualistic pursuit. It has to be a communal pursuit in order for it to work. And really the premise, the reason behind why we need to even you know, embrace and embark on self-care is because the best version of the world starts with the best version of us.
0: Yeah. You, you say we actually need to expand the view of the word self. And I think you're right. You kind of get something that you hear yourself and it part of selfish or, you know, so many times we've been conditioned to believe put others first. But you say this expanded view of self-care really does include our family, our community. Um, so when we're as mothers say taking care of our kids, that is self-care.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, when I say co- communal pursuit, I mean that when you look at your self-care plan, whether you have a formal one or whether you have sort of your go-to things that you do for yourself, most people, especially, you know, as you mentioned, like a single mother, for example, right? Most people have incredible hardships and obstacles to be able to even enact those self-care tools that we have that we know are really important it's really important to meditate it's really important to exercise it's really important to um, spend time you know communing with others But if you're working full time and you're a single mother, for example, and you're, um, you know, just absolutely so tired by the end of the night, it's really hard to do that without the support and the help of other people within your community. And so really my, um, my message to everyone is that we need to shift from understanding the word self as just this body that we're in, and rather understand it as much more of a broader term, you know, that self includes every single person that is in our circles of influence, every person that we touch every single day. And that's many people, both people that are really close to us and also people that we just have exchanges with on a regular basis. And so you know, designing and creating formalized communities of care actually normalizes the ability to ask for help. Mm. And that is the hardest thing for people to do, you know, because people feel like they're deficient or they're not enough, or I, I, why would I need to ask for help? You know, I, I, I should be able to take care of this on our own. And the truth of the matter is, is that Even biologically, evolutionarily, that is not how a human being was designed, to be individualistic. But rather, we've always been communal. We've always had this tribe, clan mentality, and we have to lean into that.
0: Well, and you talk about that it's tough for people to ask for help and that that's a necessity for self-care. You say we need to formalize a self-care plan. What does that look like?
1: So it looks different for every single person. My self-care plan is very visual because I'm a very visual person. I I imagine things in like colors and pictures and so forth. So what I recommend for people to do, because they always ask me like, where can I download a self-care plan? And I say, well, my version of a self-care plan may not be the right one for you. If you're the type of person that likes to-do lists or likes spreadsheets, you know, there are so many different ones that are out there. So really, if you just go on uh, a website, uh, you know, a search engine, and you type in self-care plan template, you will be surprised at just how many hundreds of different templates are available. And I guarantee you will find the right one for you. But the point here is, is that, Formalizing it means actually committing to sitting down and writing down those self-care tools that you sometimes forget about when you're in the moment of burnout or anxiety or stress. And rather than, you know, reaching for the things that are healthy and that can replenish us, we completely do the opposite thing where we kind of freeze and we maybe reach for the things that are the low hanging fruit, which aren't always the best thing for us long term.
0: Yeah, I learned something new. I did exactly what you asked me to do. while we were talking here. I actually googled self-care plan templates, and there are tons of them, but I guess they have things like, I'm used to making a to-do list, it's not the most formal thing, but I scribble lots of things to do, and I like crossing them out, I feel that accomplishment, um, and I think of my self-care as something I don't put on a list, probably, like I do have a meditation practice, but it's not on a list. This, uh, You're saying we really kind of need to make it part of our non-negotiable day, and in some of these examples are, you write down what you did to your physical self-care, your spiritual self-care your emotional self-care, your financial self-care. I mean, this is just one that I'm looking at. So it's its yeah. really a lot different than just taking a bath once in a while or
1: it's saying yeah, I need some correct. alone time once in a while. Yeah. People think of a self-care plan, unfortunately, as like a break glass in case of emergency thing. And really, it's about building self-care uh, cadence, these rhythms of self-care into your life on a daily basis, and it doesn't mean that you have to do every single thing every day, but if you start to identify the rhythms of your life, the daily, the weekly, the monthly, and even seasonal rhythms, and you commit yourself to enacting those things, uh, what, what helps with a formalized self care plan and when you have a community of care is having accountability buddies actually sharing your plan not just creating a plan and then stuffing it you know in your desk or it winds up being under a pile of papers somewhere but rather sharing it with someone that can hold you accountable that can remind you of what you promised to do for yourself and also who can remove obstacles for you right the more people you have in your group the better off you are. So back to that example of a single mom, if you can't ever find time to go to yoga class or go to do exercise or what have you, you can actually rely on people by saying, I need help. I need an hour a week for myself. Who can help me with that? And Mm -hmm. I think people would be really surprised to learn that there are a lot of people that are willing to assist and to help.
0: Yeah, and whether, you have, whether you're a single mom or in my case, I'm married with kids, and I think sometimes we just get in the habit of thinking, you can't do that because I went to work and i got to run people here, and you know, you're, you're yeah. just trying to carve out these little moments. What you're saying is actually schedule it, so maybe I would say, okay, Tuesdays and Thursdays are my night to go to the gym, and you're in charge those nights. I mean, just those little shifts um, Yes. that often our partners yeah. and people in our life might be willing to do, but we'd have to be the manager and say, I need this.
1: You have to be the manager and say you need this, but you also have to expand beyond just your partner, because I think that sometimes we sort of look at our ecosystem and we, we play small. We think like it's just our nuclear family or it's just the people that are, you know, in our immediate circles. And the truth is, is that, again, thinking back to how we've evolutionarily developed and unfortunately sort of devolved from it. Uh, due to the industrial and technological revolutions, you know we saw a glimpse of it during the, the the pandemic, at the height of the pandemic, when people were helping each other, right? Getting groceries for each other and paying each other's bills, et cetera. This is where a concept like mutual aid comes in. And we recognize that it really does take a village. It's not just a terminology. And the village doesn't just have to raise our children. It has to also help to keep us sane and to make sure that we're the healthiest and the best versions of ourselves. Because... Ultimately, we then contribute and show up very differently for our interactions every day at home and at work and elsewhere.
0: So it starts with baby steps. I know there are people listening to this who are living busy lives. And I hear you. I'm one of them and saying, well, I don't have time to meditate or I don't have time for this. Or, I don't. have." Time. And often people say, well, do you not have time to do the only things that matter? Um, so how do you start taking better care of yourself so that you can realize that it actually spreads out and shifts and changes you in a positive way?
1: So if, I don't know if you recall this, but there was this like one push-up challenge that went viral uh, many years ago on social media where, where you started with one push-up and the next day you did two and the next day you did three. And, you know, 30 days later, you're doing 30 push-ups and so on. And so I think ult- what ultimately happens is that we are so overwhelmed by the thought of having to sit for 10 minutes a day in silence. And, and, you know, it's like this horror of like, what? I don't have 10 minutes a day to sit. And I always tell people, you know, don't start there. Don't start with the the New Year's resolutions that never actually most people, if ever, like hardly stick to them, right? I always tell people to start very small and to incorporate these self-care habits into, what you're already doing in your life. So here's a simple example. We're all humans, we all have biological needs, and we all wind up in a bathroom multiple times a day. And now that the CDC has told us that we have to be washing our hands for 60 minutes, in or- 60 seconds, sorry, in order to get them really clean, what can we be doing during those 60 seconds rather than just checking ourselves out in the mirror? Maybe during those 60 seconds, as you're lathering your hands, you also incorporate a breathing technique, right? You could do box breathing, which is four seconds in in breath, four seconds out breath, four seconds in breath, four seconds out breath. Or there are so many, again, you can go to uh, any, any uh, search engine and Google breathing techniques. There are tons of them yeah. and you can start to regulate you know your nervous system, so that when you come out of the bathroom, you are suddenly a different person. Literally, you feel calmer, you feel more centered, you're more present and ready to tackle the next thing that is in front of you.
0: I totally agree with you. And the bathroom is my practice. I'll say, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Let, let me try to, like, really feel the water on my hands. Or you could do a positive yeah. affirmation in the mirror, like, hey, you're doing yeah. Oprah said every time you look in the mirror, you should look at yourself and say, how you doing, sweetie? <laughs> so there's. <laughs> little... So there are these little things That's that true. we're already doing. And I know uh, in the... it's often called habit stacking. So maybe it's going to grow from there. But if you promise yourself you're going to put a glass of water next to the bed, so the first thing you're going to do in the morning is drink a glass of water or spend two minutes right. thinking of three things you're grateful for before you step out. These are like right. little things that can really make big changes, right? I mean, this is the field you're in,
1: yeah. and this changes, it, it quite literally rewires our brain. It really does. It really does rewire our brain, and it changes the trajectory of our day. It changes the trajectory of our lives, because what happens is, is that we think of all of these things as small things, but incrementally, when a lot of small things are added together, they create huge things. They can change the entire and you know, shift the entire course of, of the way that you're thinking about your life, you know, just your, the way that you show up, the way that you um, are looking at you know, your day and your life and experiencing your day on a daily basis. And so, yeah, I think many habits and incorporating all these things into your day is incredibly important and it shouldn't be, uh, you know, looked down upon in any way.
0: Well and you come from the rat race right. You're a former corporate executive who's moved into the space of mindfulness um, yeah. been featured in many top tier media. And I was reading John Kabat-Zinn who some would say is the father of at least the Western mindfulness movement. I said hey you're the real deal. So somewhere on along the lines you were living the rat race as so many are. And, it, and, and you ended up learning and teaching yeah. about mindfulness. Tell me a little bit about that transition for you.
1: Yeah, so I actually I started to meditate, believe it or not, in graduate school in the late '90s, and Sharon Salzberg was my first teacher um, in, in New York City, and meditation was really just a very personal practice for me. I never in a million years thought I would become a mindfulness teacher, a meditation teacher. And, you know, I graduated from graduate school and went to go work for a big five firm. And I like to say, in spite of myself, started to climb the corporate ladder and eventually wound up being the president of a mid-sized firm with 2,400 employees in 14 markets. And I, I, was making the most amount of money I had ever made. I was, you know, getting awards and accolades and I had pedigree and, you know, power, if you will. And I was the most miserable person that i had ever been in my entire life. My life felt so empty. And, you know, I always like to quote Lily Tomlin because I love this quote of hers. It's actually just so funny but yet so true that if you're in a rat race and you win, you're still a rat. And so, You know, it's, it's, it's the truth. And I thought to myself, like, is this as good as it gets? And I really need to start making shifts in my life. I was starting to have massive panic attacks, driving to work and feeling the dread every Sunday night, every Monday morning as I was driving in. And I recognized that something really needed to change, but I couldn't put my finger on what, and I also was really scared. You know, I've put 20 years of my life into this career and suddenly I'm just going to leave to teach mindfulness. Like that's, Sounds absurd. It actually sounds like the opposite of mindfulness. It sounds like I lost my mind, you know? And so I, with again, the help of a community, with the help of, creating a safety net with the help of support you know my husband and my son were really supportive of this decision but it wasn't something that just happened overnight it was something that i had to plan for for two and a half years to make sure that i was still meeting my obligations and showing up and doing the right thing um but you know i i was still really terrified when i did it and after i did it but what i could tell you is is that one of my friends gave me one of the best pieces of advice and she said write your resignation letter and date it for a date in the future Hmm. and you know write it down this is is going to happen. This is the date that it's going to happen. And ultimately, I wound up resigning three months before the date that was written on that letter. But I really do feel that just simply the exercise of sort of writing it down really made it tangible. It made it very um, real for me. And it gave me this, I'm a very goal-oriented person. You know, I like, like you were saying, you know, if you have to-do list, you're a person who's all about productivity and I'm that type of person. And so I I had this like goal that I had to meet and I didn't want to let myself down. But I also didn't want to let the people around me down who were all like rooting for me and pulling for me. Yeah.
0: And you were lucky that you had that support. I want to just uh, go as we as we start to end our conversation about what's happened since because we started out talking about that self-care is not selfish. And you argue that it's actually something very necessary. We're living in a pretty difficult world right now. um, And that we all can actually be changemakers, but it starts with self-care. Talk about that connection.
1: Yeah, so I'll give you a, very, a really tangible example. Um, I started an organization in March of 2020 called Pandemic of Love, which has since uh, helped millions of people and transacted tens of millions of dollars across the globe and was recognized by CNN heroes in 2020. And that, pers- the pursuit, the, 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 the impetus of that of starting that mutual aid organization that aimed to help people during the pandemic, pers- people in need and matching them with people that could fulfill that need, was really you know, the, um, the, the moment that I incorporated or was able to, from a self-care perspective, just pause for a moment and be mindful about what I was feeling. The angst, the despair, the worry, not just about my family, but about people in my community who I knew were in need. And having those tools and those skill sets, the ability to actually, you know, pause for a moment, take a step back, which is contrary to what most people would think you should be doing in a time like that, right? Mm-hmm. Most people would either freeze or they would kind of panic or they kind of, rather than leaning in, will take a step back. And I think the pursuit of self-care makes you recognize that self-awareness is incredibly important. It makes you recognize that you have the capacity and the power to assist people and to create really tangible solutions to help people Um, in your community, you know, live a better life. And so for me, that was really the roadmap. And I don't think that I would have been able to do that if I didn't have very clear self-care practices and tools in my toolbox.
0: Yeah. And I imagine you mentioned you have a son. Are you teaching this to him? And how are you... Kids uh, automatically (laughs) sometimes don't want to listen to you about this type of thing. Um, So curious how does a leader as yourself in the world of mindfulness actually teach it to your kids because we all wish we would have learned it earlier.
1: Yeah we definitely do. So I'll say something really interesting. You know my son is 20 now. He's a he's going into his junior year in college. And there's a period of time as a parent where you wonder if your kids are even really listening to you at all. Mm. And it's only when you, you know, by happenstance, happen to hear them telling somebody else the advice that you gave them Or walking somebody through a breathing technique that they sort of poo-pooed when you tried to teach it to them, you know? Um, so, So my son, I think, was sort of resistant to it only because it was coming from his mother, which is a very normal thing. However, I think that in practicing and in recognizing that this actually is real and it works... And it's really helped him a lot um, with you know anxiety during school and before tests and um you know just in 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 how he navigates his life. So I, I'd say, you know, to the to parents who are listening, uh, you know, don't give up. It may, it may take reiteration, but I also think you're I want to remind people that your children are watching you. So don't tell your kids to do something that you're not doing yourself. Yeah. Because ultimately telling them is one thing, but showing them the difference. And showing them that you're doing it is a completely different thing. Yes.
0: Good reason to keep your promise to yourself as you're being a good role model. I want to let everyone know that they can visit you. I know you're lots of places. The book is called sit down to rise up. Uh, If you're watching us on WC plus you can see it right now. If you're listening uh, you can find more information at your website Shelly and it's uh, www.shelly.com. You want to spell it for everyone because I know that might not be intuitive. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> sure. Well, actually, the easiest way to find me is just if you type in Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y, and then T-Y-G into a browser. There are not many of us with that last name. Okay. So you'll ultimately find me if you just type in Sit Down to Rise Up or if you type in Shelly, T-Y-G, and you'll be able to find me. Perfect. I want to thank you for sharing
0: your time with us today, and good luck with the book and the mission. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Absolutely. And if you want to find more information on the cutting edge of wellness, things that can make your life better for yourself and your family, you continue to watch CARES Cures. Uh, you can go back and listen to other episodes on the podcast or on WFSB. Have a great day, everyone, and be well.